open mine eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Open mine eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. Love of my life, I am crying, I am not dying, I am dancing, dancing along in the madness, there is no sadness, only a song of the soul. like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. got another treat for you today for Song of the Soul. I've got Peter Fippen here in my studio ready to share the flute music that has made him an icon in the Chippewa Valley area and far beyond. Though his professional life started out playing bass in bars with a country western band back when he was only 12, and though his formative music of choice was rock, he's found his home in and full flower passion with the flute for the past 23 years. Peter, I'm so pleased you could join me today for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. I'm happy to be here. I'm really happy you could find time in your very busy schedule. You're making music all week long, aren't you? Most of the week, and when I'm not making music, I'm working the phones or the Internet. I've gotten to know you since I've lived in Eau Claire, which I moved here in 88. The time that your music came to me, I knew you as a flute player, and I don't think I know anyone else who makes a living basically as a flute player. That just seems like in a town the size of Eau Claire, there wouldn't be the demand to fill up that schedule. Well, I've been lucky. I'm playing at Shanghai Bistro every Wednesday, which is a sushi bar, Asian restaurant. I also uh, teach in schools, give lectures, assembly programs, uh, residencies. I also produce other artists, and I keep working on my own music as well. I also play electric bass extra musical income. You've got a very interesting musical history. You didn't start out on the flutes. Actually, that's somewhat of a late addition, I guess, to your repertoire. Could you give our listeners a little bit of an idea, Peter, how you got into music? Uh, I got into music as a bass player for a country western band when I was 12 years old, playing every Friday, Saturday night, and every Sunday afternoon. 
at small little bars in upstate New York with the smoke so thick you could cut it with a knife. I found the flute late in life uh, in 1987, 22 years ago. I found that it was the instrument that I was looking for. Before I played flute, I was actually dabbling with other instruments like uh, four-string banjo, mandolin, looking at yeah, folk and bluegrass music. I'm still a fan of folk music. I wish the folk music world would accept my music as folk music, but they don't. I guess it's because it's, uh, even though I'm using very ancient instruments and they're folk-based, I have a lot of electronica in the music. Probably because I grew up listening to artists like, yes, King Crimson, Laurie Anderson, Pink Floyd, Gentle Giant, classical fusion, jazz, rock, you know. So my music is, I think it's folk music, but the purists don't think it's folk music. I'm still amazed the idea of you at 12 being country western musician. I assume everybody else you're around there, they're older people, and I don't think country western was your gig at that point. But somehow you got into that and you did that for a number of years. Is there still a soft spot in your heart for the country western roots that you started performing in? Basically, when I was offered a job to play at 12 years old, well, I was the happiest kid in the world for one thing. The other thing is, it's all music. It doesn't really matter what it is. If it's done well and the artist has talent, then it's all music. I mean, I was a rock musician. I was a jazz musician. I was a jazz fusion musician. It just doesn't matter. You know, it's all music. So the way I look at my flute music, which is my passion, and it's something I'll spend the rest of my life doing. I want to dive into your music right away. And you told me that the first song you wanted to share was Sins of the Father, which is from your very first flute CD, Book of Dreams. What's this song about? Evidently, it's from somewhere near... 1996, but I think it may go back experience-wise a bit further than that. Sins of the Father. Uh, Mike Schlanker, guitarist here in Eau Claire, actually co-wrote that song with me. But the flutes are still crying. This song is something I did for my son. I've been a musician all my life, and, uh, well, let's just say I'm not very proud of my early years as a musician, and my son is from my first marriage, and I lost him for several years there because of uh, my own stupidity, I guess. So when that song came up and we started working on it, it didn't have a title. And I realized what I was playing and what I was thinking about while I was playing it. When we recorded it and they said, what's the name of this? I said, Sins of the Father. You play what you know. I want to play it right away and I want to ask a few more things about it. The song is Sins of the Father and it's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Peter Fippen.
that was Sins of the Father, and the Father we're speaking about is Peter Phipp, and he's here with me today for Song of the Soul. And Peter, the thing that surprised me about that one, when I heard the title, Sins of the Father, and then I listened to the song, I heard the wistfulness in it. But I, the thing that surprised me is I also hear a fair amount of hope and determination in there. And that isn't what I thought Sins of the Father was going to be about. Tell me a little bit about the emotional terrain you were going through. I hear this positive or hopeful or you know, there's good ahead that's part of that music. When my son was in college, him and I started spending more time together. And that would have been about the time of that. So maybe that's why you hear that. But I did go play 18 schools in upstate New York right after that. And I, I asked my son uh, to accompany me on his uh, percussion. He's an ace, Afro-Cuban percussionist. I said, but the only catch is you'll have to stay with me for the full two weeks. He took the job. A few days into it, he realized that we were not that much different. Even though we hold pretty different beliefs, he's very much like me. And maybe that's where that came from. I have no idea. If you can, I'd like you to elaborate a little bit about the difference in beliefs, because this Song of the Soul, part of what I'm trying to learn about from you is that which comes from and through your soul. Obviously, music is an expression of that, but I want to put a few of those things into words. Can you name some of your beliefs that you might say are distinctly Peter Fippen beliefs, uh, the ones that are essential to you? My favorite book is the Tao Te Ching, translation by Stephen Mitchell. That's my all-time favorite book. I like Khalil Gibran, spiritual sayings of Khalil Gibran. I like quick things that are deep. So I'm a spiritualist, I guess. My son, on the other hand, is a uh, born-again Christian. Him and I have great theological debates as to the here and now and the afterlife. It's kind of funny because my father's an atheist. So between the three of us, we have all the bases covered. <laughs> Given that your father was atheist, or is atheist, actually, were you raised in a religiously neutral uh, home? Uh, maybe your mother had a different influence? I would go to church on Easter Sunday and Christmas Eve. The end. And did it matter which kind of church you went to? When my mother died, I found out that I was baptized Methodist. I still consider myself probably more of a Taoist. So I'm assuming that it was not your father who introduced you to the Tao Te Ching. But I still imagine that there's values you're carrying that are from your father. My father is not a hypocrite. He is the salt of the earth. My father never lied. I've known a lot of people in my life. I hold my father in the highest regard. He's probably the most honest man I've ever known. So it's funny, you know, when my son says that you know, he's probably going to go to hell. I have trouble with that. I can't believe that because uh just too good a man. I want to go on to song number two that you picked out, which is Echoes of the Past. What in the past are you talking about? Echoes of the Past to me represents the whole past. All of those who came before me. It's a way of paying homage to them. My mother's a reoccurring theme on a lot of my music. Uh, she's the reason I'm a musician. I was the youngest by 11 years, and uh, I believe she raised me differently uh, than she raised her other children. The song is Echoes of the Past. 
title track from Echoes of the Past by Peter Fippen.
that was Echoes of the Past. And Peter, what I got when I sat and just was with that song is that it was a wandering song. It was more like ripples bouncing, wandering around. It wasn't determined. It wasn't driven anywhere. You know, you're looking back on a fair chunk of your life at this point, since you're over 50. The echoes of the past, the sins of the father notwithstanding, you're comfortable with where you've wandered to. Well, I'm even comfortable with sins of the father because you have to start at point A to get to point B to point C and so on. Yeah, I've seen a lot of things gone in an instant. My mother was one of them. She suffered from Alzheimer's disease for a long time. You, of course, were a child of the 60s. You came of age, late 60s, early 70s. How did this affect you? How did this affect your outlook on life that you came of age at that particular time in history? I felt I missed it by a few years. Uh, I was a little too young to go to Woodstock, which was only like just a few hours away. And I saw the movie for the first time, and I was like, ah, ah, born too late, just by a few years. But that music had a big influence on my life. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, 10 years after, Joe Cocker. I mean, who didn't like that music in 1971, 72? I don't know anybody who didn't like that, except the hardcore rednecks who I was playing country western with. <laughs> you mentioned that you've played basically all kinds of music. You did your country western. I, get, I don't know if you've played any classical, but you know you have your rock and you have your jazz and your fusion and into stuff that gets labeled new age currently. How did you get from one to the other? Was this a, a choice on your part? Were you trying out new music and finding that which fit for you? I mean, you said, basically, flute is your enduring passion you're going to be with for a long time. Does that mean that rock or these other things weren't home? They were, you know, a lily pad you jumped from to the next thing? My father's words of wisdom when I was very young and complaining about some of the material the country band was playing, that they weren't doing what I thought was, quote, cool, uh, he said, if you're going to be a musician, you'd better know how to play every style of music well, and you'd better be able to play a lot more than one instrument well. I would be influenced, of course, like the first time I heard, you know, Stanley Clark. I was, my God, or Return to Forever. You know, the jazz fusion thing. That was really interesting. The same thing happened to me when I was a teenager and I heard Yes, or Gentle Giant, or King Crimson. This is classical and rock music mixed. You know, I definitely wanted to learn that. My music teacher in high school was a bass player. And he told me if I wanted to work, to turn on the radio and learn the bass part to every song I heard on the radio, which I did. And could you tell me a little bit about your transition from other musical instruments to ending up with the flute, finding this passion with the flute. How did that come about? I always liked the sound of a flute. I had Uncle Sam, who was really a saxophonist, but he doubled on flute and clarinet. Loved hearing the sound of the flute. It was just one of those things that, although I never thought I'd play it, I always enjoyed the sound of it. Totally by accident is how I became a flute player. I was playing with Teat Raid, art professor at the university here and avant-garde, I guess it would be jazz, 
we'll call it an avant-garde music group that was in the 86, 87, 88, 89, 90. We still play once in a while, even to this day. But in 1987, my wife was buying a couch and I found uh, some bamboo penny whistles in one of the last stores. She went in and I was so bored of looking at couches, I picked one up and just the thing started playing. And it was a quarter, so I bought it. My friend Teet Raid heard me play it and he showed up the next morning with a long Bonsri bamboo flute from India and he pushed it into my chest and said, Peter, if you're going to play flute, play this one. I was touring about 320 days a year with a rock band at that time, so I took the flute with me on the road and I considered it a hobby. You know, after playing as loud as you could all night to a few thousand people, I would go back to my hotel room and play this bamboo flute. About three weeks into the tour, we ended up in Kentucky and my keyboard player showed up at my door about noon one day. He knocked on the door and said, I owed him a dollar. And I said, I don't, I don't owe you any money. He said, yes, you owe me a dollar. So to get rid of him, I just gave him a dollar. And he presented me with an enormous large bore bamboo flute, which he had paid a dollar for earlier in the morning. It was cracked and unplayable. Our next stop was St. Louis, and I took that instrument to a repair shop and had it repaired. When I blew into that thing the first few times, that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew, I knew that this was it. I wanted to play the bamboo flute. Bamboo flute. Now I play wooden flutes, but still bamboo is my favorite. I have to admit, Peter, I know very little about flutes. I think you must have a whole assortment of flutes now. Yeah, let's just say I have a room full, over 250 instruments from all time periods, from all over the world. What happened is when I got that first big bamboo flute, I would have days off and I would play down here. I don't know if you remember the New Delhi. I would go down there and book myself for little of nothing just to play my flute because I knew from playing at an early age, you learn how to play quicker in front of people than you do alone in your room. So I forced myself to play in front of people. I probably was not that good. But what happened in that first year, 1987 to 88, people would hear me playing the bamboo flute, and they'd come to me and say, you know, my father brought this flute back from World War II. I'm going to give it to you. Or our grandparents you know, took a vacation, and they came back with a couple flutes. I want to give them to you. The library had a book drive, and there was a bamboo flute in a box of books, which was given to me. So within that first year, by 1988, I had 40 flutes from all over the world. But then I start thinking, I know nothing of these instruments. You know, I knew what their names were in their cultures, and that was about it. So I started hitting the books. I went to the library. All the books I wanted were in Milwaukee. So I was having the old interlibrary loan send these books to me. I'm still researching. My late uh, flute teacher, Dr. Richard Payne from Oklahoma City, the year he died, I was down there. He had a stack of papers on his table about three feet tall and a stack of books beside it. He was still researching the origin of the origin of the origin. And that's what I'm doing, too. I'm one of his disciples. I got to study with Doc for four years. A flute lesson with Doc Payne would be you'd move in with him for two to three weeks. 
and just stay there. And he'd wake up at 4.30 every morning, and in that Oklahoma accent, he'd be saying, Come on, Peter, it's time to wake up the sun. You'd grab a couple flutes in the same key, and you'd go, and that's when he'd play, when the sun was coming up. And then uh, when the sun was going down, that's when you'd play. Sunrise and sunset. That's when Doc liked to play. And since the next song that you chose is Blue Sunset, maybe this has got some connection? A very big connection. Doc used to be a, a pilot. He couldn't fly anymore because he was too old. He had cancer. And he was a medical doctor by trade. Uh, he knew the cancer was going to take him out. And at sunset, what we would play in the morning on that day, I would repeat at sunset for him while he was watching the sunset across the airfield. Small little airfield, very much like the one in Eau Claire. And he'd sit out there and watch the sunset because the land was so flat. And it would take a long time for the sun to go down. And I would play the flute as I had done in the morning, only in a much more uh, serious way. So the song, Blue Sunset, that's for Dr. Richard Payne.
That was Blue Sunset. Peter Fippen here today with me for Song of the Soul. As you probably know, this is a Northern Spirit radio production. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I want to encourage you to go and post a comment on this show to my website, northernspiritradio.org. We love to hear who's listening. Blue Sunset was a song we just listened to. I was taken by the name because I don't think of sunsets at all blue. They're always red as far as I'm concerned, or they get turquoise maybe sometimes in there. Is there any particular significance to the fact that this is a blue sunset? Uh, yeah, quite a significance. Like I said, Doc knew that uh, the cancer was going to take him out. He knew he didn't have a lot of time. I connected with this man. We were tight. Even though there was a little over 40 years difference between us, when we were together, we were like two 17-year-old boys with the car keys. There was no age difference. And to see him sitting there and watching the sun go down and knowing, you know, the end result. Yeah, that's a, I actually threw in a couple blue notes at the end. And there's no way to re recreate that song. That is a variation of what I played. I made sure I used the same flute. I made sure I was using the same notes, but there was really no rhyme or reason. A lot like everything I play. I do not like to control my music, especially with the flute. I do not like to impose my will. I like it to just happen naturally. To me, that is a, a very sad lament. You said that you would take lessons from Doc. Did you have a formal degree of any sort, or is this the kind of thing, maybe like yoga or something, where you have someone you learn from, you've got your, your, your yogi that you learn from, the person who is your mentor, but that isn't the same as going and getting a paper degree from university. No, there's no paper degree. I can channel Doc. The year he died, he used to love to play uh, Baptist hymns on the Native American flute, which I would give him grief for. But the year he died, I threw on my CD recorder in the house, and I picked up one of his flutes, and I played O Christmas Tree in the manner in which he would play it, which is pretty obnoxious. And I sent that around to a, a few of my flute-playing friends, Robert Gatliff uh, from uh, com. He calls me on the phone. He said, thanks for making my wife cry. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, it sounded just like Doc. And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, you channeled him. And so I did learn to play like him. But in the f what you don't want to do is... You don't want to sound like anybody but yourself in flute music. I did that just for a few friends. And all disciples of Doc Payne, which Robert and his wife Julia were. They were actually married in his flute room. And he had over 1,600 flutes in that flute room, which right there is a learning experience in itself. Because when you're handling the artifacts, some of them 1,200 years old or older, and flutes that were owned by masters from India. You're playing Panalagosha's flute. I mean, that's pretty amazing. By handling the instruments and playing them, you learn from that. One time, one of the flutes was giving me a problem, and it wasn't playing right. And I said something about that to Doc. And uh, he said, you're not spending enough time with it. In other words, a lot of the instruments I play are like human beings. There are some that are easier to figure out than others. 
But when you start playing the antiques, and I love playing the antiques, then you start running into things that you have to learn the instrument. You have to put the time in. And that's very important if you're going to be dealing with antique instruments. Well, the last song, Blue Sunset, what instrument was that played on? Now, that was from Night Songs, which is in the last six years, seven years ago, you, you came out with that CD. Are you changing instruments between these CDs, or are you doing the same flute, uh, the same flutes, a uh, full repertoire of flute on each CD collection? I find that I change the majority of flutes on my CDs, and that started with Echoes of the Past. But the instrument I played Blue Sunset on is a Ken Lacoste Janashi Shakahachi. It's not that old. It's uh, eight years old now, so it was a contemporary instrument. It's a very long Japanese bamboo flute. But I, I use that instrument on Shadows of Dawn, and my main flute is a Patrick Owell tonic of E, key of B, bamboo flute. And that makes an appearance on uh, Night Song. It's all over Night Song, and it's all over uh, Shadows of Dawn. And it'll be all over my next album, too. I find his instruments, even though they're contemporary, to be uh, very rewarding for me to play. I do like to use an Edo period shakuhachi, a Japanese flute uh, from the late 1700s. Well, you mentioned the next CD that you came out with, which is Shadows of Dawn, and you chose a song off of that called Devotion. Why is this one part of your song of the soul? This is what my son and I sound like together. Shadows of Dawn is my mother's requiem. I chose my son for that one song because I felt that both of us had to play on it, as opposed to my re regular drummer, Jason Introwitz. I, I felt my son was his grandmother, was my mother. We were both devoted to her. That's how the title came to be, Devotion. Also, Steve Middlestat. Uh, from uh, Dallas, Texas, is playing Tibetan singing bowls on the beginning of this piece. I'm playing the very old Japanese bamboo flute, the antique, from the Edo period. My mother liked antiques. She's the one that got me into antiques. So once I started playing the flute, then I was always, I'm all about antique flutes. It's uh, much easier probably to play a contemporary one and not have to fight with the antique. But the antique demands much more discipline and attention and devotion. You have to really get into the instrument and play it a lot, or it's going to let you down. It's not going to perform well, and you won't be able to uh, free up and open your mind and not think while it's happening. The song is Devotion, Peter Fippen.
That was from a CD, Shadows of Dawn, by Peter Feppin. The song is Devotion. And Peter, that song moves through so many different phases. I really had the feeling when the bowls were playing of a call to worship. And you've got the drums moving at a certain point. I had the, the feeling when I was listening to that of moving ecstatically to the dance. And when your flute came in, what I had is I, I felt like it was my breath going with it. It was breathing with that. So I had that full sense of uh, it's very different from the kind of worship most people do in the United States. But have you had experience of worship like that? Have you been out there, I don't know, Native American or over in Japan or elsewhere? Have you been part of that? Because it seems like you you put it into that song. Hmm. Well, I know what the woods sound like. I know what the grasslands sound like. and I don't know. It's just nature. It's natural. That song had no preconceived assumptions. I was down in Dallas, Texas playing, and I asked uh, Steve Middlestat to lay down some singing bowls for me. I took the wave file with me to Wisconsin, called my son, I said, give me a really grooving conga pattern. Then I played a flute part over it. My son came to visit, and when he was here, I had him add the additional drum parts. Simple as that. There's really no thought in it at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a lot of heart. That's one thing I made sure of. My manager from my rock and roll days used to tell me that I gave too much away to the audience. But I, I feel he was wrong, especially on a recording. I think you should give everything away. Way back at the beginning, Peter, you mentioned that your music gets filed under New Age. It says that right on the CDs, file under New Age. But... You really feel like you're playing, you know, you're playing folk music, folk music from all over the world, in fact, uh, even if you're inventing the songs here and now. Is there some way that New Age is a negative term for you, or what is it about it that isn't quite right? New Age is a catch-all phrase for what the marketing world cannot understand. I think that's how I'd put it. If you listen to hardcore New Age... It's pretty smooth stuff. I would say there's not a lot of tension in it. Of course, people say there's not a lot of tension in my music. But I do feel my music has a raw edge. It's earthy. And it's edgy. I don't know what to call it. I like to call it ambient world. That is how I would label myself. But there is no such genre. If they want to call it New Age, well, I guess that's fine with me. <laughs> To me, it's uh, folk music played through uh, a lot of processing. And I'm not quite sure what that phrase, ambient world, would mean, but the next song you chose, and the last song for your Song of the Soul, is Parallel Worlds. Is there a relationship here? Yeah. My mother and I used to have long conversations about uh, the spirit world, although we did not go to church that much. And she was a believer in the spirit world. And as I said, Shadows of Dawn is her requiem. To me, it's we're on parallel worlds. She's in one world, I'm in another one. And think about this song. You have this kind of call and response type thing going on. And I guess maybe one end is uh, 
her world, your world, you're, you're, you're calling back and forth. Actually, it was somewhat remindful to me. For some reason, I, I connected with Africa, where I lived for two years when I was in the Peace Corps. This call and response type thing. We don't allow that too much in our society. We don't interact with one another in that way. It's like we have the performer up there and then the audience is kind of separate behind the curtain. But I have the sense that you're calling for more interaction with this song, that you're calling to enter into relationship. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure about that. I know in Africa that if a child uh, picks up a stick and hits something, then an older person will play the counter rhythm or hit the same beat right after it. I do that with my middle grandchild. So he's getting music lessons and doesn't even know it. He was hitting my heater. He hit it once, so I hit the wall once. He hit it twice, I hit the wall twice. He thought that was all fun and games, but I was making sure I was hitting it with the same intensity and the same phrasing as he was hitting the heater. And I'm, I know this is, I've read about this being done in Africa. I've never been to Africa. But I have to give credit to Canyon Records for this one because the beautiful answering uh, is the work of the president of Canyon Records and his uh, head engineer, Jack Miller, Robert Doyle and Jack Miller. They're the ones that really made this song come to life.
That was Parallel Worlds, Peter Fippen, and it also was from his CD, Shadows of Dawn. And you mentioned Canyon Records. Are they the people who maintain your website, or are you a website guru yourself? Do you have a website? I, I haven't even been out to it. Yes, I have a website. <laughs> I'm not very uh, Internet proficient, so I, I have a web master, Deb Klosner, so I call her my web mistress. Uh, and it's www.peterfippen.com. And, of course, my name is spelled P-H-I-P. P-E-N. And in case you didn't get that, that was his last name, Fippen. That's not how he spells Peter. He spells Peter the regular way. And, of course, you'll find a link to Peter Fippen's website via my northernspiritradio.org website. I'm so pleased you could join me today, Peter, and I look forward to connecting with you a lot more in the future. We've got your music here. Would you mind if I promoted it sometimes with my other programs? I do Spirit in Action. Whenever there's music that feels thematic, I like to add that into that program. How would you feel about that? Please, uh, I need all the help I can get, and I'd be honored, Mark. Well, I'm honored to have you here, and I think Wisconsin is honored that you chose our daughter and our landscape for your home. Thanks so much for joining me, Peter. Thank you, Mark. That was today's Song of the Soul guest, Peter Fippen. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be